we live in an image-obsessed world. In, in one regard, we're a graphic-obsessed world. I mean, you can't even go to any social media site and, and scroll through without seeing almost every single post being some sort of graphic to catch your eye and to, uh, to get you sucked in on that. And you know from experience, if you're on social media, that if there's a post that is just text, you probably scroll right through because it doesn't catch your eye as much as, as images might. On the other hand, uh, we're living in a culture that is obsessed with how we as individuals are portrayed in our image to other people, how other people view us. We post status updates. We wear certain clothes. We have certain verbiage and certain words. Uh, we uh, want to um, go to certain schools and hang out with certain people. And, and sometimes we, we go to extreme crazy lengths in order to project uh, a certain image that we want others to see us as. Companies and organizations pay millions, if not billions of dollars in advertising uh, and public relations in order to portray to the, the community and the public at large uh, to see them in a certain way. They want to be represented with an image. When it comes to the question of what it means to be in the image of God, the idea of representation is a great place to start. Being created in the image of God means that we were created to represent God and what He is like in both the Hebrew and the Greek versions of the, the Old Testament. Uh, in Genesis 1, and 27, the word image is quite picturesque. The Hebrew word, which is this word salem, you don't really need to know that, but it conveys this idea of a physical structure that is made to represent something. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek version, it's the word icon, which we get the word icon from. And everywhere that we go, we see these sorts of things. When you see a company logo, if you see the, the swoosh, you think of shoes. When you see a, a black apple with a smooth bite taken out of it, you think computers, you think uh, cell phones. So when we were created in the image of God, it was as if he was creating us as a brand to show the world who he is and what he's like. So in these past few weeks, we have tried to discover what that means for us today. Again, last week, we looked at what it means to be fully human by loving God above all else. And we, and we did that by looking at Mark chapter 12, when a scribe who was an uh, an expert in Jewish law, came up to Jesus and he asked him the most important question that any of us can ask. And what is, uh, what is the most important command? In other words, what is the most important thing in life? And Jesus responded by saying, the most important is this, that the Lord our God is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your uh, mind, with all of your strength. So in one aspect of being in the image of God then, is loving God with everything that we are, every ounce of our being. And Jesus' second instance now is our focus when he says in verse 31 that the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So if we want to be full image bearers of our Lord, if we want to know what it means to be fully human, we must not only love God, but we must love others as well. 
We're going to take the same pattern that we've taken these last couple weeks. We're going to see how God is our, uh, not only our architect, but our model example of what this looks like. We're going to see how we fall very short of this, and then we're going to see how Christ is the one that brings us back and starts changing us into who we were created to be. So the first thing we need to see this morning is that we should discover our humanity in the love of God for the world. Discover our humanity in the love of God for the world. It might be surprising for you to know that there's actually very little data in the Bible about God's general love for the world. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's just that we have to infer a little bit here. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, after God had created everything, Scripture tells us, and God saw that uh, everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And, and it seems logical to assume that God loves this creation because he created it very good. Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. So, God loves His creation. Why? Because His creation reflects His glory. It shows His goodness. It shows His power. It shows His might. It shows His beauty. It shows His, his creativity. God delights in that which brings Him glory. Now, look at Psalm 148. The psalmist even encourages all of creation to do that which is normal for it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created, and He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree that it shall not pass away. So praise the Lord, the earth. You great sea, creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. God loves his creation because it is his creation that sings the song of his goodness. Scripture gets a little more specific. When it looks at the word world in John 3.16, which is a passage many of us are familiar with, especially if you've been involved with Awana, where it says that, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. That word world there doesn't necessarily refer to the physical structure of the world, this big orb that we are on right now, uh, but rather it's the pinnacle of creation, humanity. God loved the people that he created so much that he sent his Son in their likeness in order that they might be saved from their own destruction. The Lord shows His love through His humanity to His disposition. Look what His disposition is towards all people in Psalm 145, when it says that the Lord is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger. Isn't that good that God is slow to anger? He's abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. So even though humanity has been born in rebellion and hostility toward him, he still 
displays his love through his desires and his thoughts. Look in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, where it says, As I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. You think of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So it's clear that God loves the world, but it's also very clear that God has a very special kind of love for his people. He loves his people in a special way that he does not love the world. Jeremiah 31.3, God says to his people, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. That special love is highlighted in Paul's prologue in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, when he says to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, if there was no distinction between God's people and everyone else, this verse wouldn't make any sense. In verse 8, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, Paul makes the distinction. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Who are the conquerors? The church. The people of God that he has a special affection for. Look in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And we know that not all are saved, but the ones that are raised from spiritual death because of God's love. If he loved everyone in the same way, why are not all raised up? He did this in spite of our lack of love for him. Look in 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, where it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, that's not our natural disposition, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And we would be perverting the text here and God's love if we didn't see the means by which he loves his people in this way. God loves his people because his people are united to Christ and Christ's work. We first see evidence of this in Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3. If you remember when Jesus goes under the water and he, he's brought up by John the Baptist, the heavens open up and the Spirit descends like a, like a dove and rests on Jesus and this booming voice comes from heaven. This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus explains the extent of God's love when he says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Because of his great love, the Father shows the Son things that he doesn't show anybody else. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he is doing. In John chapter 10, Jesus tells us how the Father loves the Son because of the work that his Son did for his people. He says, for this reason... The Father loves me because I lay down my life and I take it back up again. This love that the Father has for the Son 
isn't something that was formulated at his baptism. It's not something that, that was bestowed upon him at the time of his death or his resurrection. Rather, this is a love that God had for his son from throughout all of eternity. Look what it says here in, in uh, John chapter 17. I desire, this is Jesus praying, that they may also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. So there was never a time when God's love for, for his son began. There's never going to be a time when God the Father's love for the son is going to end. It is an eternal love. And because of Jesus, God deeply loves those who are his. But in order to get to that place, we need to uh, live for the joy of others. Then we first need to, uh, secondly, we need to acknowledge that sin has compromised our purpose. Sin has compromised our purpose. We were created for community. It wasn't long in the creation process that God looked down on Adam and everything that he had made and he saw that Adam was alone and, and then Genesis tells us in Genesis chapter 2 that it is not good that a man should be alone. And so he made a helper fit for him and out of that, uh, that process came Eve, came a woman and it's important to note here that her role as helper is not primarily to help him accomplish his, his work on this earth, but it is to provide companionship. Woman was created to provide companionship. And man, the same way. Adam is incomplete without her. In his humanity, she is, in her humanity, she is like Adam. But yet in her femininity, she is the perfect complement to his deficiencies. On the other side of it, uh, Adam is just like Eve, except in his masculinity, he is the perfect complement for her deficiencies. Marriage is designed for one biological male and one biological female to glorify God by becoming together as image bearers to complete one another. But we shouldn't view Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 so narrowly that it applies only to marriage. God has given many of us the gift of singleness. And we can display his image when we, married or single, see Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to mean that we were created for deep relationships and friendships. We were meant to love others and to be loved. More specifically, we were created to have close friendships with people of the same gender. Now, what I'm about to say, uh, I want to be very clear on because it can sound way more controversial than it actually is. God calls us all to be in same-sex relationships. I don't mean that sexually. I mean that in community. Guys need to have friends that are other guys. Girls need to have friends that are girls. Our culture has perverted itself so much that it's hard to have a deep friendship with someone of the same gender without 
the culture thinking that something is going on that isn't actually going on. We were called to love each other in friendship and fellowship. But many of us, and I would say most of us, are not living for friendship or fellowship. And it's not because we're too busy. It's because our priorities are misaligned. Based on what I see in Scripture, I'm convinced that it is a sin for us to neglect forming and cultivating relationships. Because the Trinity is in a deep relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and because we were meant to mirror that image, then to neglect cultivating that image through relationship is rebelling against what we were created to be and do. If sin is essentially a defect in something good, then to neglect it and neglect being in close community with others is to see a defect in God's creation that is not there. When we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, it implies that we need neighbors, that we need friendships. Instead, we have going on today, the natural outpouring of Genesis chapter 3. If you remember in Genesis chapter 2, God, God presents Eve to Adam as if he is the father of the bride, bringing Eve up to Adam and presenting her to him. And by the time that Genesis 3 rolls around, they have cut off the, the intimate relationship with God and the intimate relationship with each other. The foundation of their marriage and their friendship is fractured and it is, it is broken. Adam blames both God and Eve. Eve blames uh, the, the serpent. And the ironic thing is nobody seems to blame themselves, who the culprits are. And it's clear that having children isn't going to change this pattern. Genesis chapter 4, right away, one son murders another, and he lies about it. And thus, from then on until this very moment, relationships that are meant to bring God glory are bruised and tainted by sin. Think about the many ways that we either avoid or ruin our call to love others. Almost every sin imaginable is rooted in this pride. We're prideful and selfish. We're, we're meant to find identity in and only in Christ and in the body of Christ. But we live in a midst of the culture that believes that you can only find your true identity through self-discovery. How many people have found themselves, quote-unquote, by running away from all that they were called to? How many people today self-identify with all sorts of different identities and forcing that identity on communities rather than being shaped by the community that they are within? This is a form of rebellion against what they were created for. They have rejected the thought that they are sharpened and that they grow and reach potentialities, not through self-definition, but through Christ-cultivated relationships that can point out both our strengths and our weaknesses. We are not called for others to conform to our image, but we are to be conformed, all of us, to the image of Christ. We are not called to be self-identifying 
but rather we are called to be identified in Christ's likeness in community with others. And so not only does self-identity reject the image that we are called to, but think about how things like lust affect a community. Think about how things like gossip or theft or lies. This list is endless. And it ruins friendships. It ruins marriages. Perhaps one of the biggest tragedies of the pandemic was that it, uh, it convinced us that we can live in isolation from one another. Well, forget seeing grandma. Forget going into work. Forget going to church. You can do all that behind closed doors with a computer screen. It's for your own good, they told us. And yet at the same time, the rate of mental health issues skyrocketed. We wondered if there would be a baby boom about nine months after the lockdown started. Wasn't a baby boom. There was another kind of boom, though, one of debt and divorce. It was tragic what it has done to relationships. The pandemic was an easy target for Satan to make people miserable. You take away community, you take away life. Not only does self-identity re uh, reject, uh, I just went back to a paragraph I had already written. <laughs> so what's the remedy? Let's look at that. After all this talk, you'd think that I, that I would just say, well, why don't we just pursue friendships? Why don't we just try harder? That's not the answer. Rather, the answer is that we need to follow Jesus. And then and only then can we start really loving people. That's our third point. Follow Jesus and start loving people. The, the solution to our lack of love and pursuit of relationships is not to try harder. Trying harder will only get you frustrated. It will only get you burned and lead you into isolation. The solution, rather, is in Jesus. Because it is in Jesus and Him alone that we are forgiven, firstly, of our sin of selfishness and isolation. Now, Jesus was in a zone all His own when it came to relationships. He valued everyone that came His way and knew what true community was and knew that true community is only found in their repentance and their faith in Him. Through faith in Him, all of our relational sins were nailed to the cross. And all of his relational perfections were credited to us. And through faith now, he becomes the epitome of friendship to all, especially the downtrodden, the rejected, the fearful, the lonely, the anxious. He is what Proverbs said, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And not only is he the perfect friend to those who love him and trust him, but through his Holy Spirit, he also enables us to be relationally driven. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And part of the new creation that we are is how we approach loving others. 
God should be that person that would rather just go home, sit in the den, and play video games all night. God should be that person who is actively working to destroy their marriage by being a jerk. God should be that person who is ruining their children with their anger. God should be the one who uh, was a miser that was not wanting to give of any of their resources. God should be that old person. I understand that some of us are introverts and extroverts. Personally, it might be a surprise to you, I am an introvert. I get exhausted when I'm around a lot of people. But that doesn't mean that we should not be giving of ourselves when we can, and Christ calls us to do that as a way of life. It doesn't always feel like that old person is gone, does it? That's why Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3 that we are to put to death what is earthly in us. And he gives this whole litany of things, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. The wrath of God is coming on these things. And, and these you once walked in malice and slander and wrath and obscene talk and and. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. Paul is saying that this old person was cut off when we became a, a Christian, but yet at the same time, we need to work at this. Some of us need to stop lying. And we need to have the Spirit of God work in us to that end. Some of us have obscene talk that comes from our mouths. The Holy Spirit can work with us to repair our relationships and love others with our mouths. And how are we to get rid of this? We're to kill it. Every day. Every moment. These things don't die easily. But we do it because we have been enabled by the Holy Spirit. What are we to do then? And, and notice the communal aspects of what Paul goes on here in Colossians chapter 3. When he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Did you catch that? If you are in Christ, you are beloved and holy. So what are you supposed to do? Take off that old stuff and put on kindness and humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. How good do you do at bearing with people? What's your patience level like? If one has a complaint against another, forgiving you, uh, each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love. This is what we're talking about, were you to love your, uh, your neighbor as yourself. Put on love, which binds all this together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ rich in you, uh, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so notice in this paragraph here, how is it that we are to forgive one another? How are we to put on humility and kindness? It is by letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. It is letting his word dwell in us richly. It is communicating to each other love, singing songs and hymns and 
Well, it's not like a musical where you go up to someone and start singing, but you understand the point here. Paul is saying that we can be encouraging and not tearing down. This changes everything. This changes how we approach the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus gives us this litany of things. This changes our marriages. This should change our, our, our families. This should change how we approach child-raising. This should approach how we treat our coworkers or our bosses or those that might be under us. This changes how we view others. This changes how we approach the tight grip to our stuff that we have and to love others with it. This changes our prejudices and our biases. When we trust in Christ, this is now our life. We don't live for ourselves. We exist to image our Creator in community for the, other, uh, for the joy of others to see Jesus as high and good. This is why you exist. To love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love others as yourself. Let's pray.